First Baptist Church is a special place. First Baptist Church is a great experience. And as John said, God is doing amazing things in the life of His church, in the life of His people. And I challenge you to plug in. I challenge you to submit to Him. I challenge you to pursue His will for your family because God is doing amazing things in our midst. We had an amazing 2015, and I don't even think we've begun to see all that God is going to do as He continues to call people to this place, as people continue to join, as enthusiasm is the mainstay here, uh, as we seek to do great things, as new ministries and opportunities and missions come to the forefront, we're able to see new ways that God is moving. We're able to join God in His great work. There's no better time than the here and now to be a part of what God is doing. Churches go through seasons, and this is a good season for First Baptist Church. And I am so, so grateful to God. This is the beginning of my third year. This Sunday marks the beginning of my third year here at First Baptist Church. It has been an amazing two years. I never dreamed that a church could be this good. I never dreamed that God would bring us to a place. This is home. We are so delighted to be here. And God has done so many amazing things. And I've seen so many lives changed and so many things happening. It's not the, the big things, it's the small things. And you can be a part of it. Every single one of you, young and old, no matter what part in the journey that you are, no matter where you are in your spiritual walk, God has a place for you. You were created, we were created for more than what we come to today. God is in the business of changing people's lives. He's in the business of calling people to new opportunities and new ministries. And the question of the hour is, are you, are we exactly where we need to be in this time and in this place? Because if you're not where you need to be, go to the place where you need to be. Get to the place where you need to be. Rest in the very presence of God and allow Him to lead and guide and perfect you to become the person that you were intended to be. We looked this morning in Genesis chapter 1 just and we know the story about how God created the world and all these things. And it begins, I just I tap into Genesis 1 chapter 31 because it sums up everything that God did. Now, a lot of people get caught up with, well, you know, the creation was, it was six days of creation and with six 24-hour periods or did it take millions of years? Just be done with it. It doesn't matter how long it took. If God wanted to create the entire spans of the universe and all the galaxies that exist, and He wanted to do it in four or two or one or a half nanosecond, He could do it. If God wanted to take millions and millions or billions of years to create and allow creation to flourish, He could do it. The point is not how long it took. The point is who did it. God did it. And he looks back at all that he created. And he says in verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning. 
sixth day. Everything God did in creating the world was deemed good. That tells us that God did not create or make junk. Everything that God created was good. In the original beginning, even the mosquitoes were good. And so many of us, as we laugh at that, the reality is that some days we get up and we look in the mirror, hopefully as we're brushing our teeth, and we look in and we feel sorry for ourselves or we look at ourselves and we just don't, we don't feel like we're up to par. We don't feel like we are where we need to be, sometimes emotionally, sometimes spiritually, sometimes physically. We're drabbing and drooping in places that didn't usually grab and droop or whatever it might be. And so we have these New Year's resolutions, and we do that killer diet, which, as my wife says, there's a reason that the root word of diet is die. We do all these things to fix all the external. We experienced a holiday season where many of us shopped until we dropped and we bought our kids and our in-laws and everybody in between, everything that they wanted and all those things, all those new clothes and socks and shoes and suits and everything else that we bought, all the gadgets that we adorn ourselves with. Listen, it doesn't fix here. Everything that God made, everything that God created in this world, in this expanse of the universe was deemed good. He didn't make junk. So when we are looking at ourselves and we're examining ourselves and we don't like what we see, don't ever buy into Satan's lie that you're nothing. Don't ever buy into Satan's lie that you are filth or you're trash or you're rubbish because God said in the very beginning everything that he created was good. God loves you with a purpose that is unending. God loves you with a love that is unending. In fact, in verse 27 of chapter 1, the Bible records that we were created in His image. That means that God's imprint is upon us. We are marked by the very one who created us. And He didn't create us for ourselves. He created us to do good to be good, to rest in the goodness of God, to bask in that moment, to bask in that season in which we simply trust and pursue Him. Everything that God did in creating the world was being good. And if you look, it's kind of scary because if you look how far we've come since that initial spoken uh, word of God in which He spoke things into existence, if you look, and it's very, it's very revealing, and uh, it's also very convicting. It's in verse 28, he says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Now, what does that mean? That means have sex. That's what that means. And so God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Yeah, I used the sex word. It's okay. Uh, it's biblical. And he said, Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then he says, verse 29, Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing fruit on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. How many of you had a steak over the holidays? 
Yeah. How many of you had chicken over the holidays? Yeah. You know, that's not what was intended. Yeah. Uh, the Bible says that every green plant was given for food. Now, I read that. I'm just telling you right now, I feel judged and condemned already. Because every fiber of my being wants steak, a filet mignon. It was not God's intention for us to ever salivate or be mesmerized by a filet mignon. It was intention that we would look at a green bean and go, oh, mighty fine. <laughs> We've come a long way. I mean, in the very beginning, we were to look at asparagus and say, oh, I'd rather have that than chocolate cake. But something happened. There was the fall. And we've been chasing chicken and cow. I mean, we even, listen, we even, have, we even have restaurants that build their name on cows. I think Chick-fil-A is one of them. Do you realize Chick-fil-A is not biblical? Then really, Tommy. I mean, we're not supposed to be eating meat. We're supposed to be eating greens and plants. That alone is the reason that we don't live for eternity. That's the, that alone is the reason we don't live on the earth for years and years because we have fallen from God's full intention. And, and this is just a, a small example of how far we have moved away from God's intention. See, uh, you could go on and say, and, and if you play with this a little bit, you could think God's initial intention, I mean, in, in chapter 2 of Genesis, Adam names the animals. Now, you know, how do you look? At a thing that looks like the hippopotamus and you come up with that name I mean I don't know if Adam uh, was drinking or whether he was delusional or whatnot but I mean how, how do you name some of these funny animals like the dodo bird that's extinct I mean how did you come up with that I mean that's just it's ridiculous but if you look in the very beginning everybody everyone every creature had its rightful place and we could go as far as to say that perhaps perhaps that animals were at peace with mankind. Because mankind was not seeking to have them on the dinner table. What would Thanksgiving be with just vegetables? What would Christmas be with just vegetables? Some of you don't like any form of vegetable. If it's got green in it, unless it's money, you don't want it. If you look at how far we've come, from his initial intention for creation. Everything that God did in creating the world was deemed good and is good. And listen, we sometimes spend our lives trying to get back at the reality of how good God was to this world and this universe. We spend our lives trying to gain back that understanding and that belief that we are good, that God created us for good, that God's intentions were good, and that everything that cr God created is deemed good. Now, after he created all these things and set things into motion, he created man, you know, in, in, uh, in the, on the sixth day. And then in chapter 2, you understand that woman came from man, and so he took a rib and, and basically formed it and shaped it or what now. And then we get into chapter 3, and it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. 
And then in verse 4, you'll not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to be aware of anything that is pleasing and desirable. Gentlemen, I want you to hear me very, very clearly. Anything that is pleasing and desirable probably should be avoided. I'm just, I'm going to say that again. Gentlemen, anything that is pleasable or desirable you might want to try to avoid. Because usually when something, when a man sees something that is pleasing and desirable, destruction follows. I want you to think about it. I mean, let's think about it. Let's unpack that a little bit. Anytime you see something that's pleasing and desirable, see, men don't have, women have this ability to kind of keep things at bay. Men don't. Men, a man sees something that's pleasing and desirable. I mean, 10 years ago, it was a flat panel television. Okay, uh, when I was in college, it was just the big TVs. I mean, it was a big thing to have like a 45-inch big box, you know, to put in your room. And so, I, and Tabby, remember this: we were in college, and we had people that friends of ours that were getting engaged. And I remember one gentleman who uh, we were good friends with and whatnot. He went and he purchased his ring uh, for his for his fiance. And so uh, we were talking. I said, well, "Where did you get the ring?" He said, "Well, I went to Walmart." And he said, I went to Walmart and bought the ring. I said, okay. Uh, and he said, got a great deal on it. Got it for $149. That's awesome. Because listen, if that's all you can afford, that's good. But I would dare say, when it was $149 at Walmart, and then the following week after you're engaged, you went to Best Buy, and you spent $1,500 on a TV, something was more desirable and pleasing than the other. You get what I'm saying? How many times do we see something that's pleasable and desirable and we got to have it? We got to want, why? Because it is the untouchable thing. If you think about the story, and of course, it begins with the woman in this story and the Eve. I mean, Eve and Adam, they're walking through the garden and that, they can have any tree they want, any fruit of any tree that they want, just not the one that's smack dab in the middle of the garden. They're not even supposed to touch it, lest they die. Imagine what that would be like. Because though we're not in the Garden of Eden, make no mistake about it. There's something in the middle of our garden, of our lives, smack dab in the middle, that we are supposed to avoid for some of us, it might be alcohol. For others of us who can't handle their alcohol, it might be prescription drugs. It could be any a number of things. It could be bad relationships. It could be broke. Whatever it might be, there's something in the midst of our lives that needs to be avoid, avoided. And, and the reality is that for so many of us, the very thing that we need to avoid, the very thing that we don't need to touch, the very thing that we don't need to dabble with, is the very thing that looks so pleasing and desirable to us. And if we're not careful, we will buy into the same logic that Eve bought into when the serpent said to her in verse 4, You 
will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. See, if, when men read this passage, you see, we read it and we find that everything's good and then Eve goes on a walk in the garden. She goes on a shopping trip, that's what she's doing. And so she pops up and she sees that desirable tree. And she has this encounter with the serpent. And men, when we read it, the guy ain't there because if the guy was there, he would have he told Eve what she needed to do. And so we bind the lie that after Eve eats the fruit, then she gives it to her husband and he takes it back to her husband. And that's kind of the, the picture we have. But I want you to notice that's not the biblical picture. The biblical picture was in verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. So what you have here is a woman notices the tree and her shabby husband is beside her and he just is silent. He's just watching the unfolding drama with the serpent and Eve. And then after she eats it, and she didn't immediately die. He thought, it looks good to me. I'll try some too. Glad that she was the guinea pig for it. And she didn't, he didn't say anything. Listen. Men, all too often, we are silent when we need to speak. All too often, we have allowed, listen, we have allowed our wives to dictate the spirituality in our home. This is not a sermon about how great a man is and how bad a woman is as a leader. This is a sermon really about how bad men were in the very beginning that they refused to lead. This is not about wives submitting to your husbands as many of I've heard many a sermon about. This is about a man making sure that when he is leading his family that when push comes to shove and he's confronted with the reality of doing good or evil, when he's confronted with the, the reality of dealing with something that's pleasing or desirable, he will show up, he will speak up, and he will prevent catastrophe from hitting his family. And that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen at all. Adam is just silent. Now I want you to think about in your families how often are men silent? How often do women carry the burden of the spiritual nature of their family? And it's not just, it's not just here at First Baptist Church. It's in every church that I've been in. Listen, if women, listen, if women were not doing what they needed to do in leading their family, we wouldn't have families coming to Christ. Because statistically we know that many, many students, many, many young people come to Christ. Why? Because mama brings them to church. Where's daddy? Well, daddy's at home watching a ball game, or daddy's busy fishing, or daddy's doing this, or daddy's doing that. Listen, fathers, you have a responsibility. Mothers, you have a responsibility. Parents, you are a team. You are to lead your families in the paths of righteousness and not being taken over by every whim that comes down your way. 
Be aware of everything that's pleasing and desirable. When we look at people and things as pleasing and desirable for our personal gain, we will inevitably fall. We were not created to desire anyone or anything other than the Almighty God. This is the reason we were created in His likeness. He put His imprint on us so that we would be marked, so that we would understand our purpose and perspective, that we would understand that we are not in charge. And Satan's lie from the very beginning is the same lie that he says to us today, and it's basically this, that we don't need God that we can survive without God. And here's the thing, it fits right in line with American individuality and individualism. Because listen, the reason in many regards that America has become the last frontier of missions, and as I've shared before, do you realize there are more missionaries that come from South Korea, to, or South Korea sends more missionaries to the United States than any other country in the world. There's a reason that we are the final frontier of having the gospel reach us. It's because most of us live virtual atheism. We live as if there is no God. Why? Because we are blessed beyond measure. We have every commodity, everything that we need, practically everything that we want, and we bought into the lie that we ultimately don't need Jesus and we don't need God. And there's a handful of people around here that believe that by electing a certain political party a person or by selecting certain individuals that that is going to take the gauntlet back and we're going to be able to swing that pendulum. Let me tell you something. A politician is going to say what he or she needs to say to be pleasing and desirable in your eyes. Be wary of people that want to please and be desirable in your eyes. Because the solution to our problems is not going to reside by sending someone to Washington. The solution to our problems is going to be inviting the Lord Jesus Christ into our dwelling place, into this temple, into this body, into your heart. It's not about sending someone somewhere else. It's about inviting God to come in. Be aware of anything and everything that's pleasing and desirable to the eye. We were not created again to desire anyone or anything other than the Almighty God. And then I want you to notice what happens. So Eve takes the fruit. Adam, who was with her, he also ate of it. And then the Bible says she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above and on and on 
and own. Here's, here's the point, ladies and gentlemen. Don't blame other people for your mistake. Adam and Eve clearly made their own decision. The first thing that was first when after Adam eats of it, after God is asking where he is or where they are, and after Adam admits that he heard him walk and he was afraid because he was naked, who told that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I can be not eat from? And then he said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit. Now, a quick rendering would be that Adam blamed Eve. But the truth of the matter is, Adam blamed God. The woman you gave. The woman you gave. So Adam is more than willing to toss the blame to anybody around him rather than taking personal responsibility. Hate to say it, but that is the sort of way thing that men do. Men love to pass the blame on everybody else. When the reality is that you and I have to make a decision to accept the responsibility for our actions ourselves. No one, listen, the serpent did not force Eve to take the fruit. Eve did not force Adam to take the fruit. The serpent did not force Adam and Eve to make a bad decision. They chose on their own free will. And as a result of their choice, they were banished from the garden and they would not live, they would eventually die. And ever since that time, as we have this story of Satan, the serpent, as he entices us, listen, Satan will always entice us at our most vulnerable points. And for some of us, our vulnerabilities are different. It depends on a lot of different things, our personality, our past, whatever it might be. You and I have to own our stuff. If we want God's hand to move in our lives in an amazing way, if we want revival, as some of you who are older will recall that word, if we want renewal, if we want spiritual awakening, you can't have a spiritual awakening without acknowledging our responsibility and culpability for our decisions. It requires confession, not blaming. I mean, let's think about it. There's, there's two perspectives to be had here. I could easily, as any of you could, look back over the past in your life and I could say, you know, it's not my fault. I, you know, I inherited this, I had this issue, or I had that problem. And I look back, even if I wanted to, I could go back to calling and say, well, you know, the reason I, the reason I ended up going to ministry is because I, you know, I was plagued, I didn't get a chance to go to, to, to law school, I didn't get into law school, or whatever it might be. I could blame any a number of decisions on someone else. I could blame my wife for certain things. She could blame certain things for me. But the reality is... We are responsible for our decisions. Own them. Own the decisions that you make, whether they're right 
or they're wrong, make sure you don't flee from the responsibility of that because you will never, ever be free until you're able to admit where you've been, how you've journeyed. Don't blame others for your mistakes. There's something free in that. Don't blame others for your mistakes. Listen, if you had a bad relationship with your mom, or you had a bad relationship with your dad, or you had a bad relationship with the person that raised you, and you're like in your 20s, your 30s, or 40s, or 50s, or 60s, however old you might be, and you spend your time thinking, you know, if only they would have done this, then I wouldn't have been involved in that. If only they made more time for me, I wouldn't have broken relationship after broken relationship. If only I had not had that broken relationship, it wouldn't be affecting every other relationship. Listen, quit blaming everybody else for your life and accept responsibility. Listen, you can't change the past. No amount of coloring, glossing over it, editing, proofreading, or anything else is going to change the chapters of your life. But you can change the future. You can change how you perceive people. You can change how you respond. You can change how you relate to God and how you relate to others. You can change, but you will never, ever change until we are willing to acknowledge where we have fallen short of his plan for us. See, if you're sitting out there today and you're saying, I feel so distant from God. I don't feel like he's near to me. As I've said many a times on this pulpit, it's not God, it's me. It's you. If you've spent decades trying to blame others for your failures, listen, you will never, ever, ever get out of that cyclical fix because you will always, always, always be drawn back to the reality that you are nothing, that you are a mistake, that you are junk, and you're always willing to tell yourself that because you're always willing to say someone, it's someone else's fault because you're in this cycle. No. If you want to break the pattern of addiction, if you want to break the pattern of broken relationships, if you want to break the animosity or the hurtfulness that you experienced as a child or as a young adult, let go of the circumstances that happened to you and redefine what is in the here and now. Let the past be in the past. Because the beautiful thing is that after there are consequences to people's actions and after Adam and Eve are pushed out of the garden, their story is not over. God's work in their life is not over. It has just been altered. It's not God's fault that it was altered. Adam and Eve made a decision. And yet God gives them more chances. And the story as you find it in the Bible as we go through it this year, it's going to be the story of different figures and different characters and different people, groups of people and nations. And it's the story of falling in love with God, falling out of relationship with God, being God's ambassadors and shining as the brightest star, and then 
being caught up in the darkness. And that is the ebb and flow of life for most people that follow God. But the beautiful thing is, we never ever, listen, God never looked back and said about his creation that it was junk. Now, if you recall in Genesis chapter 6, he regretted making man. He regretted, he reneged basically. He regretted on doing all these things, but it was not. Listen, he never said that it was junk. He regretted it. Why? Because when he looked out over the world, he saw the world how it become. He saw how evil and detestable it was to be a human being and how the inclination of the human mind was on evil all the time. And I know that our doomsday prophets of the day spend so much time talking about how bad this world is and how we're all going to hell in a handbasket and how we need to return to Jesus. And I'm all about the latter, returning to Jesus. But I want to tell you something. We're not nearly as evil as what is going to happen. It got so bad that before God destroyed the world by flood, that men who had daughters, men who had daughters who had not been wed, would offer their daughters to the strangers outside the parameters of the household because men were exchanging natural relations with women and going after other men. It got so bad that men would often their, offer their daughters to stop problem of sin and the pleasing and desirable that was rampant on this planet can you imagine that fathers if you have a daughter imagine offering your daughter to someone to prevent them from doing what was detestable in God's eyes as if that's not any less detestable that is how bad it can get everything that God created was deemed good you and I need to be aware of pleasing, everything that's pleasing and desirable. And we need to absolutely take responsibility for the decisions that we make. 2016 can be an amazing year for you. It can be an amazing year for our families. It can be an amazing year for our church. But if we are seeking spiritual awakening, it's not going to happen by uttering pious wishes or pious prayers. It's going to happen as a result of us as individuals recognizing, recognizing our mistakes, not allowing ourselves to be defined by those mistakes, and purposing our lives in Him. By asking him to clean us within, to asking him to lead and guide our hearts and our minds and decisions to be at the center of who we are, to be the center of our marital relationship, the center of our parental relationship, as we seek his purpose. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Have you reached your God-given potential? Are you spinning your wheels, focusing on your failures, focusing on how you've never measured up? Are you blaming others for the situation that you're in? Take responsibility. Recognize that he's purposed you for more than where we are today. And begin seeking him 
begin pursuing Him. Begin following Him. Be diligent in your focus. Be diligent in seeking Him out. Be diligent in engaging His Word. Seeking His truth. Because God knows that when He provided a way and a manger so long ago, God's purpose in the person of Jesus Christ and His Son was to bring the entire world back into relationship with God. In many ways, what Christ did was to bring us back into the fulfillment of what the Garden of Eden was intended to be. And the Garden of Eden that we want and desire is a Garden of Eden that is heaven on earth. It's heaven for real. It's not some place that we're going. It's some place that we can have an experience that we can have in the here and now. But it begins with us. Can we acknowledge who He is? Can we acknowledge where we are? And can we make the necessary decisions and commitments to become a child of the King? Resting in His promises, looking in His Word, and seeking His will for His glory and our livelihood. Will you pray with me? Lord, as we come into this place and, and a time of invitation, as we've begun a new year, God, as we think about where we are spiritually, financially, emotionally, physically, and all these, all these things, God, help us to take responsibility for our actions. Help us not to play the blame game. God, give us the courage and the strength that we need as families to look to your word. Strength for our lives. Help for our souls. God, in this place, in this invitation, we invite you to take over our lives as we begin this year fresh and new. Create in us a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within us. God, may we respond in faithfulness. May we accept your love. And God, may we recognize that we are good because you created us. You purposed us. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for all the blessings you give to us. This is our invitation to respond to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you need to make a decision to trust in Christ, surrender yourself to him. Maybe to join First Baptist Church, become an integral part of our church family. We extend to you that invitation. Maybe God's leading you, whatever He might be leading, be faithful in pursuing Him. Maybe today that you recognize, I need to accept, I need to take responsibility for some things I've been blaming other people for. This is your time with God. This is our time with Him. Won't you respond? Won't you come as we stand and as we sing?